Shepherd Neen, proud supporters of cricket in Essex. So welcome along to 98 Not Out this evening. Myself, Brett Sanders. Darren Mutu. And, and... Aris Nazumi. Hello. Hey, nice, you made it. I made it on time. Of course, we are local radio for the Brentwood and Billericay areas and, of course, via the internet. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Shepherd Neem, who do sponsor our show. Do loads of great stuff in Essex with cricket as well. Um, so don't forget to join us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram this evening. You can find us all on 98 Night Out, a usual roundup of local results. Bar empties 11 news from the cricket world. Not there was much to talk about. Nothing this week. happened much this week, did it? Uh, we've got a couple of amazing interviews tonight as well, haven't we, Darren? Our uh, best ones yet, I think. And that's saying something. Um, that's going to be brilliant. But obviously we'll start where we always start with results from the Shepherd Neem Essex Premier League. And it could prove to be a bit of a pivotal week, this one. Absolutely. Ilford hosted Chinford. Um, it was the last, uh, last chance for Saloon for the home team. Winning the toss, Ilford chose to bat first in the hope they could pull off a 25 points win. But Ilford went down with a whimper. No. As they were dismissed for just 102. Oh, Ilford, come on. Here we go. Come on, Ilford. Liam Lennon, the pick off Chingford's bowler, 4 for 25. Uh, in reply, Chingford made a very light work of the target, reaching just in 17.1 overs. And with a 38 ball 50 from Feroz Kushi, mm -hmm. the defeat means Ilford are relocated. Oh, no, oh dear. No, no. Ilford. Uh, well, speaking of relegation, in the second relegation spot at the start of the day was Buckhurst Hill. Um, they hosted Hadley and Thundersley. Um, Buckhurst Hill won the toss and batted in the hope of securing a much-needed 25-point win, but they found themselves 88 for 8. Wow. Before Karudewa with 38 and Bome with 20. Another Sri Lankan. Is it? Um, sounds like it. Oh, God. Uh, well, they were batting down the order because they wouldn't have been there in time for it to open with it. <laughs> Um, anyway, they made the total slightly more respectable and so it ended up 137 all out. Hadley lost an early wicket, but sensible batting from Zaidi with 61 and Greenwich with 50 meant the Vistas had an easy seven wicket win. And this meant third bottom Bellis had the chance to extend the 10 point gap they had over Buckhurst Hill when they visited Hornchurch. Bellis won the toss and they unsurprisingly chose to bat as well. Obviously, five more points on offer if you bat first. Bellis skipper Joe Joyce led from the front, scoring 90. Uh, but O'Gain Sirisoma claimed another five. Sri Lankan uh -huh. yeah. claimed five for thirty off thirteen point two to reduce Bellis to one hundred and sixty eight all out. Good steady batting from Hornchurch despite Matt Doran's five for sixty three meant they won by five wickets. Bellis could only extend their lead over Buckhurst Hill by one point. So the big winners in the bottom four were Chinkford took a big step to safety with their win over Ilford. So for the draw last week, meaning. The surrender top spot to Brentford. Wanstead were hoping to bounce back as they visited Chelmsford. The Hose won the toss and Wanstead quickly reduced them to 34 for 3. But Dan Hagen defied the Wanstead bowling to carry his bat for a 101 at out. I wish he was 98. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would been good. As he guided the home side to a 220 all out. No doubt Wanstead knew they have to put a win. But for three wickets from Leon Keenan, Leon Keeney, and one from Matt Dixon meant Wanstead were in all sorts of trouble at 18 for oh four. Dear. Oh dear. 
Mad Johnny Newton. mentioned about Alphine Akramin, will that? Alphine, yeah, I think got five yeah. this week. Did he? Oh, well, he's wow. dark last week. He's coming on the show next he's week. He's coming on <laughs> With a strong lineup, however, Ben Waring claimed Kishan Vellani with a catch of his own bowling and with one shot, 25 for five. Ooh. Only 57 not out from Joe Ellis Gruel stopped. Some excellent Chelmsford bowling uh, from totally humiliating Wanstead, but but they still fell to a 98 run defeat. Arfan mm, mm. Akram. We're going to have to quiz Arfan about all this when, we, when he comes in. Arfan, have your answers ready, please. So all of this meant that Brentwood had a chance to extend their lead at the top as they visited local rivals Billericay, who had claimed bragging rights earlier in the season, pulling off a great win at Brentwood. I was there for that one. Uh, quite amazing. And that was the start of the winter slump, do you remember? Yeah. After all that bigging up, I went down to watch him and he didn't take any wickets that day against Billericay. Anyway, he's gone now. So you cut to slide that in, don't you? Yeah, well, we've been talking about it, we've been talking. But anyway, um, back at Billericay in the return fixture, Brimwood won the toss and of course they chose to bat at the, es- at the Lords of Essex as... Uh, the Toby Howe ground is, re- is referred to by those in the know. Um, Rob Rayner, or Suresh, as he's known to uh, his friends, quickly blew their top order away. In a 15 for three, the leaders looked to be in big trouble. Jack Hebron with 47 and Tom Oakley with 66 added 119 for the fourth wicket. But Benricky kept things tight as Ross Poulton claimed three wickets and, Ro- and Rob Rayner a fourth as Brimwood declared for 218 for nine of their maximum 64 overs. Remember, we're now in this... Uh, Time game. Yeah, so I think we were talking about this last week and, and that's basically a good example of how it affects things. Um, so as I said, Brentwood were minus the recently departed uh, Nick Winter. They should have signed someone called Spring, really, shouldn't they? To follow Winter. Um, but they did welcome back Essex Pro Ben Allison, who's just recently signed. Uh, a nice contract at Essex. Um, however, it was Ian Bellchamber who took the plaudits with the five for uh, five for 34 of 20 overs as Billericay were 143 all out. So a 25-point win uh, for Brentwood means they now are on top of the table on 276 points with Wanstead. Come on, our fan. 21 points back on 255. Big get, big gap with two games to go. Premier League Player of the Week is Dan Hagen for carrying his bat in the hunt through 101 as Chelmsford beat Wanstead in what could prove the pivotal point in the title race. At first division, Colchester visited Shenfield in a game the host needed to keep win, really, to keep their promotions alive. Colchester won the toss, chose to field an uh, opener. Oli Eckers fell for 72 with a score 128 for 6. Our hopes of a competitive score look gone, but 32 from Tom Austin and an 8th wicket stand of 56 from Cahill Mohammed, who scored 44, and Rob Petchy, 20 not out, meant Shenfield reached 2-2-4 for 7 off their 50 overs. Ferozi Ahmed took the attack to Shenfield as the, openers, as the opener fell for a quick 35 off 17 balls. A more patient 67 from Guy Haynes helped the visitors virtually seal the title and promotion with a three-wicket win. Oh, Monty no. took two for 72 off his 16 quite, quite expensive for Monty, that one. <laughs> The big game now for the second place Fives host the third place Woodford Wells in a big local derby. Fives won the toss and chose to bat. Um, it was Wells Alexander Gilbert who made the heading headlines through a six, with a with a six for forty two. Wow! As the host fell away to one hundred and sixty five. In replies to Wells keeper Mitchell Todd led the way with a fifty nine in uh, as they cruised home with a five wicket and plenty of time to spare. 
the wind moves on wells into the second automatic promotion spot Ooh, okay and the other local side with a chance of promotion were hudson who batted first against upminster uh, vivan pavar found form again as hutton amassed quite an impressive 313 for four off their 50 overs pavar carrying his bat for 187 of Amiga 142 balls. Upminster batted bravely and held out for the draw as a ninth wicket partnership um, held out for, six, for, a, for a whole 56 balls to deny Hunt the win. Shabazz Butt scored 112 in a fine counter-attacking innings as the visitors were 43 for five at one point. That would have been a big win for mm. Hunt if they'd done that. Yeah. Harold, with the, with the other side of the promotion Hunt, they suffered a surprise defeat at Loughton who started today in the relegation zone. Ooh. Loughton winning by 44, largely thanks to Abdul Nazir's 6 for 51. Some figures. And in the week. other game, South End on Seafield, just short of Gidea Park's total of 220, and there's a settle for a draw, and that probably means they will now be relegated. So the top is Colchester on 271, then a huge cap to Woodford Wells on 236. Shenfield on, at the, on third at 226, Fives on 223, and Harrowwood on 220. Three, four, five are very close. Hutton will need results to go their way now as they are back on two or three. At the bottom, it's who will go down with South End and Upminster now join them in join them in the relegation zone and 147. Loudon's win puts them on 156 and Gideon Park on 164. Okay, so looking forward now to this weekend's fixtures in the Premier League. Bellas are taking on Brentwood, Buckhurst Hill play Billericay. Chingford play Hornchurch, Hadley at home to Chelmsford, and Wanstead play Ilford. In the first division, Gideon Park play Shenfield, Loughton against Hutton, Southend against Harold Wood, Upminster take on Fires, but really the game of the day is Woodford Wells taking on Colchester, just for the reasons we just heard just now. Just change everything again, couldn't it? Wells could be back down to fourth yeah. place after that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there continues to be some great cricket, and uh, you know, we all urge you to get out and go and see these local club sides because it's some great stuff going on. L not much in the other notable performances this week. Harlow's a man, Ali took five for 68. It wasn't enough that they fell to Horndon on the hill. Benfleet's Ben Freshnam uh, claimed five for 48 in their win. Stanford Hope's Adam Knight claimed five for 50 in their win. Hornchurch Andy Adams claimed six for 44 in their win. And go on, there's And in the Ilford's Kanchana Dasanayaka, another Sri Lankan. What's, what's going on in the Essex League? Kanchana Dasanayaka. As Ilford won by nine wickets, five for 45 for Kanchana. Well done, you. It was very good listening. indeed. And 98 Not Out, sponsored by Shepherd Nee. Proud supporters of cricket in Essex. Ah, yeah. Uh, so we're not going to have as much music on today, purely because um, purely because we've got quite a, quite a couple of long quiet interviews. Um, first up, we had a pleasure earlier on uh, earlier on in the week or late last week uh, chatting to uh, Colin Cowdery. Chris Cowdery. Chris Cowdery. Why have I put Colin on? Colin's his dad. Colin's his dad. So I'll get it right. Son of Colin Cowdery, Chris Cowdery, a former England captain himself, and. It was a fascinating interview, and here's what we had to say. Hello, Chris, and welcome to 98 Not Out. Um, it's really good to have you on the show, and thanks for uh, sparing the time to talk to us. Not at all. Nice to be with you. I hope you're keeping well. Yeah, I'm, I'm all well. I, I, I always uh, get slightly worried in the summer when Australia come over here and play so well, but otherwise I'm fine. I just wanted to ask you, first of all, about there's a lot of uh, nostalgia uh, in the cricketing world at the moment. Derek Pringle had his book out, Cricket in the 80s, and on Sky they are doing a feature of uh, the Ashes in the 80s. Now, 
the 80s was uh, a busy time for you. Do you want to tell us about uh, what you were doing cricket-wise in those uh, halcyon days? Well, it, it, was a, it was an amazing sort of decade, really, wasn't it, with uh, Botham's Ashes at Headingley. And, you know, every time you turn on the television now, if it's raining, you, you see Willis bowling again or Botham smashing them for 149. Um, I mean, that's how it sort of started for England. And then it sort of became a bit chaotic. And where I sort of, I suppose, came into it was um, in 1984 I was very lucky to have been selected I think because Ian Botham then was banned or was having a winter off for some reason or whatever but there was a spot there for the, uh, an all-rounder to come in and bat six and bowl a bit. Was that the India tour? Yeah, that was the tour to India yeah where David Gower was captain and David, he always says whenever anyone asks him and I'm around he always has a go at me he always says well you know I don't I, I said to him, well, I don't know how I got on that tour. It was fantastic. He said, well, if you, if you can't pick your mates, who do you pick? <laughs> um, so <laughs> You got quite an interesting wicket on that tour, I believe. Yeah, it was really odd, you know. It was, uh, uh, I, I didn't really expect to play much in the Test Series when we left. I expected to play in the One Day Internationals. And it went exactly the other way. I played all five tests. Um, but the first one was, yeah, it was against India, obviously, at, in, in Mumbai, which was then Bombay. Mm -hmm. Came on to bowl. I don't know what the score was, but they they got a very big score on a flat pitch. And I'd been fielding at short leg for about a day and a half, and I'd been hit about 100 times. Oh, uh, blood coming out of my ear and my nose and oh. all this. And David Gower sauntered over and he said, right, uh, the moment's come. You're bowling. <laughs> which was... <laughs> And he wouldn't even let me take my shin pads off because he said, you won't be bowling long enough, just get on with it. Uh, it was just one of those strange things that happens in cricket. I was bowling to Kapil Dev, who is the sort of most popular Indian player that's ever played, I think, in uh, Bombay. And he was going well, he was smacking all over the place. And I, I just sort of bowled a couple of wides down leg side, stiff as a board from fielding at short leg. And eventually I managed, ball four, I managed to get it around the off stump very medium paced. He was so excited, I think, <laughs> that he actually had a ball to hit. He, he sort of sized up Bombay High Street uh, in the <laughs> distance and uh, missed it, and it just sort of grazed the off stump, and I struck with my fourth ball in Test cricket. Fantastic. <laughs> what a moment. <laughs> it must have been pretty special for you, um, you know, playing for England, following, as you did in your, in your father Colin's footsteps. Your son Fabian continued the tradition. Well, Fabian's, uh, yeah, I mean, he unfortunately stopped playing uh, a couple of years ago now, but he, he, I don't quite know why, because, you know, he's a, he's a very good player. He's only 26 still, and I... I still think with all this 100 ball stuff, all this cricket about, maybe he ought to go revisit it, um, perhaps see if he could play again. But he loved it. He loved playing. Um, his whole life he's loved cricket. And, uh, yeah, it was just that he's doing very well now playing in leagues and stuff. But, it's, it's a, you know, it's obviously a different game. What, what is he up to with his time apart from uh, sort of weekend cricket? Is he, is he doing any other little ventures or anything? Yeah, well, he, he's playing. He plays for Minster in, uh, on the Isle of Sheppey, uh, Minster Cricket Club, uh, in a sort of grade second league down but he's made millions and millions of runs oh, and in the week he's uh, he started this little events company called cow corner events right and i think cow corner because he saw me playing as when he was young and i hit everything over the, <laughs> over the wicket <laughs> uh, that's what he tells me anyway and he's had some lovely little events early evening just a couple of hours he's had gary sobers and he's had peter alice from golf wow gower and gooch have both done one for him um, he's got James Haskell, actually, the next one, the rugby man just before the World Cup, coming up on the oh, good 16th, yeah. Yeah, 16th of September in Bluebird in Chelsea, and it'll be really nice, and he's got using me to interview the, 
the big name, the big celeb, and then we get questions from the audience. And uh, anyway, he's, he's doing well. You're very good as an interviewer. Um, one of the, the highlights of my diary on my calendar is the Lord's Taverners Christmas dinner at the Grosvenor uh, Hotel on Park Lane. Yes. Um, and I've seen you interviewing um, the great and the good. But one question I would ask you is, it, did you feel any pressure or, or a kind of a, a watchful eye when um, Sir Michael Parkinson was president of the Taverners? <laughs> well, he, he took over from me as president and of course a much bigger name than me i mean he's a legend um but yes it was very <laughs> it was quite <laughs> tricky because i had to interview him probably on about five or six occasions in that year mm. and it was funny because the first time i did it, it wasn't that one in particular i did one before that a smaller audience and uh, just before he started i said now uh, sir michael what, what about this and this one can i shall i ask you about this i thought i'd start with i gave him all the things that were in my <laughs> head and he turned to me and he said Listen, he said, let me teach you a little lesson here. When you're interviewing people, do not tell them what you're going to ask them if you want to get the best out of them. I'll remember that. <laughs> I'll, I'll remember that. I'm going to write that down. I it's an amazing, learn. amazing point. So that's why, obviously, you knew. You see, you, you knew, so you haven't rung me up before and told me what you are going to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just disorganised, Chris. <laughs> but, he's, but he's brilliant. You know, he's a brilliant man, um, Parky, and... He's getting on a bit, of course, age-wise, but he's so sharp and uh, a brilliant guy to talk about his life and love of cricket and Dickie Bird and all that. It's terrific. He was actually quite a, a promising cricketer. And I think in his youth, he was in the same side as Dickie Bird, who you mentioned, and also um, Jeffrey Boycott as well, the three of them playing together. And I think Parkey was uh, probably at that age the best of the three, I think. Well, I, I think he probably was because if, if, you know, I took him back a couple of times to that era and said, come on, what was it like? And obviously Jeffrey was batting a long time, but not scoring any runs. <laughs> so, so Parkey, who scored a bit quicker, he made a couple of fifties, I think, playing alongside Boycott and outscored him. And then same with Dickie. Dickie Burb was a good cricketer as well. Mm. And uh, but Parkey, in the end, I suppose two things happened. One, he didn't improve, I suppose, and then also he found another career. So. Uh, and he did quite well. And he, he never looked back, yeah. Never looked back, exactly. <laughs> but he's very funny with his stories on boycott and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Now, as, as you mentioned, it is um, Ashes season. And it reminds me of another time where um, your name comes to mind. When we were working on Ravi Bapara's benefit year in 2015, the last time the Ashes were over here. And we had a dinner at Lord's where we were expecting um, Alistair Cook, Joe Root, and maybe one or two others to uh, to attend and do a Q&A on stage. But at the very last minute, if you remember, the entire squad came down for the evening and you had the dubious task of, sort of interviewing and, uh, and introducing and, and, and marshalling them all on stage. That was quite an evening, wasn't it? It was quite an evening. It was uh, a brilliant night, actually, and great for, for Ravi. And lovely that the England players sort of rallied round and decided to come and support him because... You know, these guys are pretty busy these days and, and oh, yeah. you know, they have big they're under a lot of media scrutiny all the time and, and, and it was great. I, I remember, yes, trying to prepare for that event, thinking, right, I might have to interview uh, Alistair Cook, so I got some questions ready for him. And then it, I don't think it was much before the event. I think they tried to keep it quiet uh, for obvious reasons. 
uh, and yeah. all of a sudden they're all coming in one by one. That's right. It was incredible. <laughs> it was incredible. Listen, Chris, I know you're busy, and um, I mean we could talk all night. We'll have to get you back um, at, uh, sometime in the future, and we can we can talk more about uh, cricket and the, the taverners, and uh, uh, and and also let's have an update on Fabian and Cal Corner. Let's just see how that's all going. But um, many many things. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Not so at much. all. And I must just say one thing to you. I, I was trying to find out where I've been 98 not out. <laughs> I was looking. I was looking it up. I couldn't find it because I remember. I'm pretty sure the only uh, highest score I got at Lords was 98. I think it was 98. It could have been 97, but I think it was 98. But sadly, not not out. Ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe briefly for a point you were. But listen, thank you so much again for joining us. Thanks. All the best. So there you go. What an interesting guy. You could, he's one of those guys you could probably talk to for hours on end. And, and uh, you know, I, I sort of kept thinking of other things I wanted to ask and other stories. But uh, maybe we'll get him back at another point in the future. Indeed. And it's Cal Corner events that Fabian does. They are, they really are. If you do get a chance to go, good events, aren't Take they? Take a look at the website, calcorner.co.uk, um, I think it is. Or search it on Google. But uh, well worth taking a look at. And some big names always involved. And they're good because they're quite intimate and you do get to ask some really good questions, don't you? Of quite yeah. famous people. So I think James Haskell's coming up from, isn't he? I was just going to say, it's not necessarily cricket-based. I think there's cricket, rugby, um, all other sports, but big names nonetheless. Now, talking of people that can talk, <laughs> Our next guest, um, he can talk. And, and we're going to let him he's talk. He's got a fantastic career uh, now, um, uh, and he talks about cricket. He's one of the Test Match Special commentators, and we're really, really pleased that Dan Norcross joined us. Right, we've now got on the phone Mr. Dan Norcross. Hello, Dan, how are you? I'm, uh, I'm extremely well. I've just woken from a, a relaxing afternoon snooze, as I've got a rare day off. <laughs> Lucky man. I think I could do with a, an afternoon snooze. I'm a bit... A bit slow on the uptake today. Anyway, um, welcome to 98 Night Out, our new show that we are doing in the mid-Essex area. Um, the English cricket season boiling up to a bit of a climax, but I think, first of all, uh, I know Brett's very interested, but I think our listeners will be interested to know also about how you went from Test Match Sofa to Test Match Special. Oh, crikey. Um, how long have we got, really? I suppose... You need to understand how Test Match Sofa began and what it was about. I mean, it was it was essentially a midlife crisis by a man who had just been made redundant for the umpteenth time in a job that he didn't like, this man being me. Um, and I corralled a bunch of friends and people who had various bits of expertise who might have met along the way, having a proper job, I suppose you might call it, into um, finding an excuse to watch the Ashes of 2009. The previous Ashes, of course, 2005. That's been a, so the brilliant. Flintoff one, isn't it? Yes, and I, I'd spent much of it in pubs three or four miles away from where I worked, having invented meetings that, that didn't exist in order to catch snatches of it. And um, I vowed when I lost my job at the end of 2008 in, in that, that crash that um, I wasn't going to miss this Ashes. So I set up this rather ridiculous thing. I mean, the idea was that, um, not, not just that we'd watch the Ashes and have fun, but actually that we could reach the parts that other broadcasters couldn't reach, namely anywhere outside Britain, because it struck me, and it's, a, it's been an issue that's bedeviled cricket, really, for the best part of the last 15 years, isn't it, that the yeah. access to it was getting reduced. And I thought, isn't it nuts that you can find yourself, you know, on holiday in France or out, out in America, and you can't 
hear the cricket and it struck me as a fundamental human right that you need to be able to hear the cricket so absolutely, I very naively yeah, absolutely. and um, and it then went it, it sort of went it went very well to begin with when we weren't really considered to be a threat to anybody and then when people started listening to it in large numbers it, it, it then became a threat um, and was bought by the cricketer and then the whole scene got very sour yeah. and people weren't very happy about it and then I, I had a kind of a vault fast really I sort of thought oh I don't really like being the bad boy of English cricket because it doesn't really suit my temperament. <laughs> it sounds a bit like our story because we've started along the same sort of lines that we're just broadcasting on the FM frequency very, very locally, but we're using the internet um, to get out there and we're now we're reaching Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Australia, oh. South Africa. Yeah. Well, this is the power, this is the incredible thing about the internet, you know, and, and actually... There's a, there's a serious point here above and beyond, you know, just, just larking about and trying to spread the word of cricket. It's that, you know, the internet is only really now being exploited for, for what it can do for uh, for sports. And for cricket, when you think about it, it's got such this enormous archive of material that we ought to be spreading the word. It's a, it's a narrow sport in some senses. It's only, you know, really participated in large numbers in small countries and what we want is more and more and more people to get into it and the internet's the perfect way of spreading that message so you know more power to your elbow i think so dan when obviously the uh, call came from the bbc to join tms was you uh, slightly surprised well not entirely because i'd sort of initiated it really <laughs> um once i'd realized that, that i didn't think i wanted to to go through the, the terrible hassles of a, a test match so far, i sort of um I'd, I'd resigned myself having to go back to doing a proper job but I thought you can't really do this for four or five years and not just send a speculative email so I sent a speculative email <laughs> to Adam Mount at the BBC and um, and said you know any chance I could maybe do a bit of county commentary for you or something like that I thought you know I could probably do that in between having a proper job and uh, surprisingly to me he said yeah can you do Surrey against Gloucestershire on March or whatever it was insensibly giddy became a small child and um <laughs> and then and then things moved very quickly that was 2014 and i did a women's test later that year and i did the first one day internationals the following summer my first test in 2016 and then toured and then got sort of you know part of the team which was usually gratifying i still can't quite believe it i mean still pinch myself <laughs> so, so, so what was it tell us what was it like that very first moment where whoever, whether it's Jonathan Agnew or whoever is sitting there and says, um, and at the end of the next over, yeah. we're handing over to Daniel Norcross. Well, I can remember it very, very clearly. It was, it was Alison Mitchell. I mean, you know, and I don't mean this in any way to put down women's cricket because I, I sort of got the goosebumps when I did the women's test, but that was done at Wormsley and it was done with people that I'd sort of got to know a little bit already, so it wasn't anything like as terrifying. The first men's international is when you realise quite how big it all is because you've got technicians and then you've got, you know, we didn't have blowers, but I think that game we had Jonathan Agnew and Alison Mitchell and Simon Mann as maybe were commentators. It was Boycott. And uh, Boycott wasn't on the one day international, no. He was, I, I had a mouth gave me a very lovely start because Alison Mitchell, who I got to know a little bit, handed over to me and I sat down uh, and I was the fourth slot on, so it was, it was like three o'clock in the afternoon. It was exactly three o'clock in the afternoon. And a wicket had just fallen, 
and I looked to my right and I saw Ebony Rainford Brent was my summarizer which, and I knew her so I felt comfortable up to a point and then as I sat down the whole world went to a tiny little prick of light and I thought what the hell am I doing and I'm, I'm in the wrong place I'm not supposed <laughs> to be doing this I'm supposed to be I'm supposed to be in a room with my mates drinking Stella Artois and shouting off <laughs> yes exactly um, but as luck would have it a wicket had just fallen so my first my first line of commentary was, and a notorious Irish battle thief, E.O.I.N. Morgan, drives down to the wicket, which is what the epithet I'd used for more the time I've been on Test Night Sofa, and I just thought, you know, be yourself, don't be different. And, um, and I looked and I saw Ebony was there, and weirdly, I mean, the thing about cricket commentary is you don't really have time to get nervous because mostly they keep bowling balls. So you've got to get on with the job, which is who's bowling to whom, what's the field look like, what's the score. You know, you don't dry up just because cause the game's happening. So a number of things worked in my advantage, really. The producer was very helpful and sympathetic, put me on with good people that I knew. And um, and, and like I say, it, it was doing something that I'd, I'd done so much of. You know, by that stage, on Testament so far, before then, we'd done five years, we did about 180 days a year, you know, and I was anchoring it for nearly all that time. So... Um, suddenly just instinct kicks in and you just do what you've kind of trained yourself to do just without the swearing and, and without the, you know, <laughs> bottle of wine. <laughs> so, Does it help you, Dan, that you, you do have a wonderful knowledge of the game? You've also written an excellent book as well, haven't you? Well, I've, I've edited one, uh, but yes, I'm, I'm in the process of writing one at the minute, but we'll, we'll see how excellent that is. I'll finish it, but I mean, look, I don't think you'd be doing this if you didn't have a knowledge of the game you know I've been obsessed with cricket since I was seven and you know my, my earliest memories really are, are of cricket and of infuriating my family by only talking about cricket I've got a I had a furious argument with my, my grandfather at my grandmother's funeral he was from Yorkshire over the relative merits of Jack Hobbs and Leonard Hutton so you know it, it was and I was only eight so you could see it was sort of <laughs> in me um, and and I think it's true of everybody, actually, on, on TMS and everybody who works in cricket. You, you don't get into working in cricket unless you love it and you're absorbed by it, because it's a, it's a game that encourages obsessives. I think, to a degree, all sports do, to be fair. And sometimes in cricket, we, we think we're the biggest badgers. But I, I suppose because there's that much more archive and that much more written, and, you know, we've got the record going back to Wisdom in 18... 63 and what have you well there's more to absorb isn't there so um, yeah it, it, it does it helps of course because it helps if you're sat next to Jeffrey Boycott and he thinks who on earth is this buffoon I've never seen so, him so how many runs did he get you told me this one before and I'm trying to coax it out of you so tell me what it was like when you, you sat down there and um, Jeffrey well, is there and he turns his chair to you well he's truly terrifying because <laughs> the thing about Jeffrey is you know he, he is a a proper pro and he's been around he's been doing this for decades so that's when imposter syndrome really kicks in you know <laughs> because you think oh god I mean I think I know my cricket because I can talk to you forever about Billy Midwinter in the 19th century but you know <laughs> what do I actually know about cricket when there's a bloke here who's got 8,000 runs and has been broadcasting it for 30 years so yeah, you know um, it was frightening and he did assess me and he and he made life, you know, 
hard, <laughs> which is perfectly fair because it's a program that he's on. He doesn't want some completely preposterous buffoon <laughs> turning up and ruining it. So, you know, you just have to you just have to be on your metal, and you've got to try and put that to one side and um, and, and be yourself and, and commentate the cricket. And I mean, now I like to think that actually we work really well as a team because I mean, there's nice a couple of things that I do with Jeffrey, which I do semi-deliberately, but also because I think he's, he's a fountain of knowledge, you know. I mean, there are times when I want to... You know, England's batting at the moment is pretty rough, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And they just aren't sufficient batsmen in the sort of trot. Bell, Peterson, Mould, you know, Strauss, Cook, all that. But, Gooch. But, Gooch, well, I'm going to say that so much, because I'm thinking about that team that was only five, six years ago. Oh, I see, know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, when you think how quickly um, the Test match batting in England has, I say, degenerated, it's just not got the same solidity that it had. So, Jeffrey is understandably irked by that. And I'll say to him, you know, well, I mean, what would we, wouldn't we cry out for a man like Morris Leyland? And then he will tell you, because he knows, you know, knew Morris Leyland, you know, he played with him. Yeah. And then I'll start telling about Morris Leyland from a from a personal perspective. And I find it fascinating. For me, it's like having a shiny new toy every time I turn up at work. You know, I can talk to people who've known people who've known people. You, know, you don't have to trace it very far back before you get to WG Grace, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, quite, it's quite bizarre. There's no one around who's, you know, played with WG Grace. But, you know, you know people, Jeffrey knows people who were playing in the 1930s and 20s, and yeah. they knew people who played against W.G. Grace. And so you sort of, it's really thrilling for me, because you, you kind of get first, second and third hand accounts of people that were just black and white photographs, or, um, I don't know, sort of sort of interpreted through the prism of Neville Carter, who's a very unreliable writer, but, you know, quite, quite flowery and that. So it, it, I, I just find it really, really enjoyable. It's like, like working with Graham Swan, you know. Graham Swan has done some pretty terrible impressions, but <laughs> if you get him on the subject of off-spin bowling, he is, and many other things for that matter, but you, you get him to talk about off-spin bowling, he's absolutely brilliant, you know. Yeah. And he's the best off-spin bowler that I've ever seen that England produce. So, you know, getting, getting to sit down next to somebody and hearing them, telling you things for 20 minutes is an extraordinary privilege. It also means I have to do less commentating, so, you know, <laughs> it's win-win, you know. <laughs> Dan, on, uh, this summer, is, it's just been unbelievable for cricket. Can you ever think of another another summer or a season like this? Well, I mean, no, not really. I mean, 1981 was incredible, uh, but we've all got sort of rose-tinted view of that. I was 12 years old when that happened, and... We remember it for the really brilliant times, but it, that's really the end of the third test match. And well, I remember, and fifth. Yeah, but you remember the Lord's test match with both of them getting terrible. there. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. It was a terrible game as well, and rain intervened, and, yeah. you know, we didn't have proper drainage in those days, and didn't have neutral umpires, and, and you know, yes, it was, a, it was a brilliant summer for re-watching the, the great moments, but there were about sort of, there were three tests, weren't there? Where was this? I mean, I've been lucky enough to go to, what, 17, 18 World Cup games. And it's not just seeing England now. I mean, this is the perspective I think you get more of when you're, when you're commentating generally. You know, getting to see, I've got to see every country play. I've got to see Afghanistan 
four or five times in Bangladesh and Pakistan and you know it just it was so rich I thought I thought the tournament was so rich and you got to see so many incredible players and the incredible finishes and such enthusiasm for the game in the country you know, every time I did a Bangladesh game I did four or five of them the place just rocked it was nobody left their seats you know that none of them were going off to the bar every 10 minutes so the, the ground was always packed it didn't, didn't have pockets of emptiness where everyone was going off and getting a drink mm. they were just watching in rapt awe Pakistan Bangladesh at Lords was just I mean the game itself wasn't the best game it was quite a good game but the atmosphere was just incredible and then obviously you get down to the English bits of it you know somehow nearly throwing away qualification okay. yeah that's right but, but nearly, nearly not even make it to semi-finals and then hammering Australia in the semi and that final I've never been in a press box like that before the place was in press box normally everybody is trying to be impartial and also they're trying to work you know and they think about what they're going to write so there's a great hushedness where the, the writers are and at Lords the broadcasters are just above where the writers are so you sort of mingle with each other a lot more than you do sometimes at other grounds where we're separated on different floors or whatever and just there was just anxiety pacing around sudden exclamations shouting what's going on I mean it was frantic I've never, and that's before you even get to the crowd who were of course uh, <laughs> supremely brilliant and engaging it did um, seem to change the sort of uh, you know Lords particularly I mean of course the final but I mean I went to a few games and I noticed that the atmospheres within each ground were, was different to what you might see even at uh, sort of a T20 Blast game it was, it was, it was very noticeable it was wasn't it I mean I think that was partly I think because we got a different clientele kind of yeah. to watch the game yeah um, not necessarily alcohol infused either were they no exactly I mean that's sort of really where you know, the Pakistan crowd and the Bangladesh crowd and Afghanistan crowd were just incredible and these are people that don't come to domestic cricket very much and I do think that that is a failure in our game that you know these are people who obviously love their cricket and will come in the tens of thousands to watch their team but somehow we're not able to reach out to them to watch cricket during the regular season and I, I know everybody you know goes on about 100 and, and understandably sort of don't get us started don't get us started no <laughs> well no I, I think it's, I, I, I understand it I understand the objection but I also I think the World Cup made me understand what the ECB are trying to do now whether the 100 is successful I don't know but what they're trying to do is reach out to those fans yeah but currently you know you see a World Cup and a Champions Trophy but you don't see uh, domestic cricket and I mean I, again I'm not going to go into 100 because you talked about it a million times before but you can understand why there's this urgent need amongst the ECB to try to tap into that source because they could not just be a source of revenue it's about maintaining community cricket it's about enlivening parts of you know certainly urban areas in Birmingham Bradford and London and Manchester and what have you that could see a kind of mass participation uh, in which people from different ethnicities are all playing together as opposed to sort of disorganising in different pockets and that would be ultimately for the good of cricket if we could 
if we could crack that. At the moment, we're not cracking that. No, we're not. Dan, also, obviously, it wasn't just the World Cup. We've now had a an interesting test match against Ireland. And then, um, well, what, what can we say about the test match against Australia that just happened? Well, it's absolutely lunatic, isn't it? I mean, to, to my slight regret, um, I'm going to be all six of the test matches this summer, except Headingley. <laughs> so, that was the one game I missed. And I was, I was actually kind of looking forward to it because I'd... I'd uh, I mean, don't, I don't really mean this, but I've done 29 days out of 33 and I was a bit tired, to be honest. And I was really looking to a week off and I thought I can watch it on the telly. And I had this little event to do for Lord's Taverners on the Sunday. And I thought, well, that would be you know, a nice antidote to England losing the Ashes because they were bound to lose and they had no chance of winning that game. It never happens. England never got that many runs. So don't have any hope, even though, you know, you do. <laughs> but you're trying to be rational and so I was commentating a game for the, the Taverners and then obviously after two o'clock our, our game started and they started the, the 10 figure partnership well the, the wickets fell first and I just sort of drank a bottle of wine and said that's it ladies and gentlemen England are about to lose yeah. actually, I'll let you know when it happens nothing to see there let's concentrate on what we're watching here and then things started to go a bit berserk and I couldn't move yeah, because it was, it was unreal, wasn't it? Absolutely wow. unreal. The, the, the pandemonium at that event was incredible. I mean, grown men crying, including myself, mm. when it all ended. I was in absolute bits, re-watching it a million times, seeing how it gripped the nation, seeing how the, the game of Spurs. But Phil Walker was telling me, the editor of Whitney Cricket Monthly, that he'd also, that was a game he was missing, he'd got a week off, and he'd gone to watch Spurs. <laughs> and... Um, there were people just huddled around TVs, you know. There's a great, it, right? there's a great video from I think it might, Spurs might have put it out themselves. But the moment England won the Test match and Spurs have got this really long bar there, the whole bar's right. full and everyone is going absolutely yeah. nuts. Oh yeah, well, well that's part of the day for that. That's us Spurs fans. <laughs> but, but isn't that? But isn't it brilliant though? Because that's a Test match, and that had a long and sinuous narrative, and. It wasn't just hitting the ball out of the park. I mean, obviously, the, the impressive bits about Stokes innings you always will remember as the sixes, it, the, the boldness and audacity of his Stoke play. But it was actually, it was the, the, the complexity of it, how yeah, he had to keep exactly. Leach off strike and the dot balls being cheered to the rafters. And that's when you realise that, you know, it's not any different from it how it was 35 years ago. People um, haven't got no attention span. People can get absorbed and involved in longer form cricket. You just have to market it and you have to make sure that people can see it. And well, I think also people the, around the, first half of, the first half of his innings as well, you know, uh, was it two runs off the first 50 balls? So, I mean, there's there's loads, uh, you know, for us cricket badges to look at and just marvel, really. How well, you could, you could tell that the day was going to be a bit weird when the first ball of the day was blocked and the crowd went preserved. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and you thought, hello, how much have they got in the tank? Yeah. <laughs> it turned out a hell of a lot. <laughs> so, Dan, two tests left. What, what do you think? Oh, really? Come uh, on, come on. I mean, I, I'm going to put a sneaky bet on Australia winning 3-1. <laughs> um, Didn't you say 5-0 at the start? I said 4-0. Oh, right. I said 4-0. And, and quite frankly, I mean... We'd be 2 0 down if it wasn't for one of the most amazing innings cricket has ever seen. I mean, certainly um, by an Englishman, I, w I would say that, that Kushal meant 
obviously in England it was unbelievable. It was a Pereira for game. His name now <laughs> <laughs> for Sri Lanka against South Africa, and I watched that game. I couldn't believe it. I kept telling my wife, "I've just seen what I think is the best destinies I've ever seen." <laughs> and he was smashing Dale Stane to beat midwicket, and then you know we've seen it again. And incidentally, just a quick side note on that. I mean, I do think whatever purists say about T20, that neither of those innings could have been played without T20 because there was the different calculations that those batsmen made. Adam Border took a totally different view. You know, back in 1982 against uh, England and Melbourne, when he said, right, well, all we can do is, you know, I'll try and get one and over, and Jeff Thompson doesn't face more than one ball, and we'll get there in three hours, you know. And if we get the odd boundary, then great. Whereas Stokes said, right, well, Leach isn't going to last for three hours, so I've got to get 73 runs quickly. And because I've played T20 cricket, I know I can do that in eight, nine overs, you know. Um, so, yeah, I've got to say, though, that England were outplayed for nearly all of that test against a really, really good bowling attack, and England's batting man for man isn't as strong as Australia's, and they've got Steve Smith coming back, and I know England might have Jimmy Anderson coming back, but realistically, England have got bowled Australia out for, you know, a combined total of 450-odd runs if they're going to win, so... Yeah. Um, but it would be brilliant. Look, if Stokes can repeat his heroics and if Root can find form, and and if yeah, well, if, that's if we take take the wickets quickly. Yes, and I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, personally, uh, and it's not just because I'm a Surrey fan. Uh, I'd have Ollie Pope back in the side. He's proved his fitness. He's the best young yeah. batsman in the country. He averages nearly sixty. Um, I'd, I'd pick him, I'm afraid, uh, and I'd shove him straight in at probably. You can cut you a little bit short there. Cause, uh, Get yourself up to watch we've, Surrey. We've got some other stuff to do. So uh, enjoy your evening. You're, you're off to watch Surrey uh, lose to Essex, aren't you? Well, do you know what? I, w- I was going to be, but then I realised that I've got to do a podcast on Monday wrapping up the whole um, group stage. So actually, I'm going to be better served watching Gloucestershire against Kent because that game actually matters. So <laughs> you, we'll Surrey be- and Essex. Surrey and Essex are basically like... like um, Sherlock Holmes and uh, and Moriarty just jumping down the waterfall, uh, like a bar ball, dragging themselves to their doom. Do you want to give your podcast a little plug? We're happy to do that. Um, yeah, well, thank you. It's a Talking T20 podcast on, on ESPN Quick Info that comes out um, pretty much every Monday, depending on whether we can both get to the same place at the same time. And of course, you so, have to mention your lovely moment on 98 Not Out on Phoenix FM as well. Of course I am. Of course I am. <laughs> Towards like, yeah, but you make sure you, you send it out on Twitter and I shall retweet. Absolutely. So, what, what are you guys going to be discussing later? Well, be, a busy, busy show. We've got the roundup of all the local results. We're talking. The thing that you'll be really interested in is our bar empties 11 that we've been asking our listeners to take part in every week. Oh. People down the ages that have literally emptied the bar that you go and watch. So, so. Right, well, you've got Gilbert Jessup is going to be on my my list way back <laughs> in the early part of the 20th century. Uh, David Gower will be one of mine. Gower didn't get in there. For he us. didn't get in there tonight. Hey, we're to, we're going to reveal who's. So we're down to the last two. So we're looking at the opening bowls. Last we, one. We've we've done ten now. Yeah. 
Well, we're going to reveal yeah. the English uh, fast bowl, and tonight we're going to ask our listeners, uh, and maybe you can contribute, uh, overseas fast bowler, the number 11, who's it going to be? Well, for me, I was always gripped by Michael Holding and Malcolm Marshall. Yeah. But in a strange kind of way, I mean, because I think they were the, the two best bowlers I, uh, that I saw, um... I would probably say that in terms of emptying bars, Colin Croft did it for me because he was so nuts. He was so nuts and he bowled so wide of the crease and he was so angry and he was so determined to cause havoc. You wouldn't argue with him, would you? I mean, God, he's a big old boy. (laughs) Oh, well, yes, I have. I've done a couple of podcasts with him in in the past and it's uh, it's an experience. He's a tremendously uh, remarkable man. Uh, Just don't get him to talk about aircraft. He, He can talk... He can talk too long in a podcast about ailerons, if you're not careful, because he's, of course, a, a pilot. So, uh, <laughs> That's not you, want to, you want to keep him sticking to the subject of cricket? <laughs> Dan, thank you very much for joining us here. Oh, chaps, it's uh, been an absolute pleasure, and all the best of luck. Cheers, thank you. Cheers. 98 Not Out, sponsored by Shepherd Neen, proud supporters of cricket in Essex. What can we say about that? I mean... What a great guy that is. <laughs> another, another one that we could have talked to for hours and end. He kindly gave his time up for us. And uh, if you ever get a chance, he's always around county grounds as well. He's just a great guy to talk to. Do, do, do say hello. Absolutely. He's very friendly and we'll yeah, always chat to everyone. He is, especially if you buy him a drink. <laughs> Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Um, so come on in. We, we did touch on the bar empties 11 and Dan's chucked Colin Croft in there. Yeah, so um, first of all, let's announce who won the voting for um, our last week's poll, which was the English uh, opening bowler. Uh, and really, it was a straight shootout between Jimmy Anderson and Darren Goff, but the winner was, drumroll, Jimmy Anderson. I know. No, yeah. I thought people would have gone for Goffy, but there you go. What, what, what Jimmy do I know? Anderson. He's, uh, Jimmy Anderson is. I mean, Jimmy's been amazing, though, isn't he? Yeah. And, and now watching him with a swinging ball, he, he's just fantastic yeah. to watch, isn't he? So, um, some overseas fast bowlers. Dan did name Marshall and Holding, which obviously Lot springs of, to everyone's mind. Yeah. Croft was up there. Garner, another one of the uh, scary Andy West Roberts Indians. was part of that quartet, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, and then a bit later on, Walsh and Ambrose. Yeah. I mean, they could have just been all the fast bowlers <laughs> themselves, really. But have a fast bowl, West Indian fast bowlers, 11 at some point. Um, <laughs> Other ones that we could talk about, um, I think Shoei Bakhtar, you've got to just put in there. rapid, wasn't he? I mean, that, he, he just... Did he actually bowl 100 mile an hour ball in there? I know they tried. It was debated whether it was true or not, but yeah, he, he got something... Uh, I think he did. Three figures. Just a lunatic, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah. Running like a lunatic. He had a Hair lunatic going action. The eyeballs. But some of the balls could just go anywhere as well. That was the, that was one of the great things with him. You wasn't quite sure if it was going to hit the batsman. We have to ask Ravi Bapara get him on because <laughs> yeah. uh, Ravi was uh, as an eighteen-year-old slapping him around Chelsea a few years ago. So Hello, he so, could tell us. He yeah, he, he us. could go either way there. Um, some more famous Aussies: Glenn McGrath, yep, Thompson and Lily, yeah, Brett Lee, yes. I mean, yeah. there's only one reason why Brett Lee wouldn't get in my team. He had a chance to do some proper serious damage to Piers Morgan that day, and only, only broke the guy's ribcage. You know, my, my abiding memory of Brett Lee would be, um, and I was there to watch it. Was the T20 World Cup um, over here in 2009 when it was Australia West Indies at the Oval, and in the opening over, um, Chris Gale hit Brett Lee. I think it was four sixes in a row um, with 
a couple of them clearing the pavilion at the Oval. Now, those of you that know the Oval would know that that's actually that's quite big. some feat, isn't it? That's and I suppose talking about Southern Hemisphere bowlers, um, Alan Donald, you've got to Alan chuck Donald. in there. He was, uh, yeah, that battle with Atherton, that game, was, uh, that was just, yeah. that was gripping. But he was always, he was quick and he was nasty, wasn't he? He was nothing pleasant about it. Yeah. Didn't seem, he was a really, really nice bloke off the bench. <laughs> very, very unpleasant on it. <laughs> what about one of yours? Well, there they go. Slinger. 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 He's got to be in there. Now, how do you put, now, this is a good one, right? I've had this argument, sorry. So we might say Malinga, but if you're Sri Lankan, you say Malinga? Malinga. We've got to narrow it down to four. So Dan gave us Colin Croft, which we probably need to chuck in there, yeah. as he did. How about Dale Stein? You Dale Stein. Oh. I'll tell you what, listeners, we won't narrow this down to four. We'll put all of these names on the social oh, media, no. and then you choose. Yeah, we'll put it out there. Just chuck them all out there. That, that's it. That is brave. It is our last one of the uh, 11. Yeah, so. I suppose so. Might as well make, make it, it difficult for ourselves. Why not? And like stuff like that. A quick update from the Oval. Essex Eagles, 29 for two. Lost a couple of early wickets, but Tom Wesley and Dan Lawrence. Dan's had a really good competition in the T20 this yes, year. Yes, yeah. And, uh, and signed a new contract yeah. as well now, hasn't he? So. Yeah, he has indeed. So, uh, oh, 35 for two. Dan's just hit a six. So, uh, a, bit of, a bit of a recovery there. Come on, we've got to... Topical, because we just talk about sixes at the Oval. We've got to talk about this test match. Yeah. We've got, I mean, I've got some facts and stats and ridiculous things. Come on, then. England's highest ever fourth innings run chase, beating the 3-3-2 for 7 v Aussie at Melbourne in 1928. Obviously, this is to win. This is to win, because obviously we've scored more mm -hmm. in not winning. Second highest tenth wicket stand to win a test match. Uh, Dan mentioned the other with the Sri Lankan guys, who I think got 78 or something. It was, it was just... It was 153 yes. to South um What a brilliant innings against South Africa. And I think this year has got to be the golden year of Unreal. Test cricket. Uh, Stokes' is highest score against the Australians in his third Test ton against them. Eight sixes in his innings was the most in a winning chase. Now, Were they all off uh, the last over? Uh, it felt like about <laughs> Two batsmen have scored more in a fourth innings of a match. Nathan Astle yeah. scored 11. Do you remember the famous 2002 yeah, Christchurch yeah. chest dropping Drop wicket? wicket yeah. New Zealand got 451 runs and they were still, we've got to mention this, yes. 98 short. 98. 98. And uh, Tim Southie, Tim Southie on his debut, Essex legend. 72 he scored, I think nine sixes. His first 18 runs in Test cricket were all sixes off <laughs> Jimmy Henderson, I think, of all people. Um, so, yeah, so two players have scored more. There you go. Only three other instances of teams scoring less than 70 in the first innings to win a test match, and the other three were all in the 1880s. <laughs> um, but, 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 and we'll have to be quick. Yeah. Australia, they lost it for themselves. Poor review. Yeah, the review's been awful. What did they review that LB for? And then the next, I was watching it, a typical, you sit there, don't you, when you're watching the game, you don't move. So I'm sat in a really uncomfortable chair, looking at a really awkward angle. I'm dying to go to the boys' room. <laughs> that was I, absolutely poor. I don't know. And as soon as they reviewed that, I said, what are they reviewing that for? That could cost them. Next over. Mm. And I think there was a it panic did. moment for But then Jim the Payne. Lion ran out. He just, he lost it, didn't he? He lost his poor old Nathan game. Lyon. Should we share to see if uh, Nathan Lyon? I, I'm not sure he's talking no. to anybody at the moment. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, what, what was the Twitter spat about? Shane Warne yeah, and Matt Pryor. That's, that's interesting, isn't it? Shane Warne complaining that an Englishman gave an Australian a bit of stick. Well, that goes Come back on. to, to um, the A.B. de Villiers run out, doesn't it, where Nathan Lyon uh, ran him out 
screamed in his face and threw the ball, or sorry, dropped I, the ball. I think it goes back further. I think Nathan Lyon had a real dip at Matt Pryor and several other England players about their mentality. Oh, yeah, they yeah, had the yeah. whole Stuart Broad's a criminal thing, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. There you go. You've got some back and you don't like it. Stuart Broad's a criminal. Does that mean he can play for Australia? Yeah, that was the old... Um, <laughs> that was the thing last test, wasn't it? They gave the whole thing about him not walking. Well, he didn't walk, I mean, yeah. Imagine an Australian... And that was about, about reviews as well, walking, wasn't it? He didn't walk because he knew they couldn't review it. Just some real cra absolute craziness in there. It really is. I mean, just don't moan about getting a bit of stick back. You know, if it's <laughs> no. personal and it's rude, OK, fair enough. But it wasn't, you know... And if you look through history's greatest cricketing sledges, I think probably about eighty percent of them are from Australians. Australians, yeah. Shane Warne has definitely got more than a few of them, yeah. without a doubt. Yeah. Um, although my favourite one was definitely Ed O'Brandis, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's really good. So come on then. I did say I've got to say I did put it out there that I thought England would lose the first two tests and come back and win it three two. I did say that. Everyone oh. looked to me as if I was drunk. To be fair, Which the weather the are. weather saved the Aussies in the second test. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, Archer's coming made a big difference, hasn't he? I think the, the dynamic has changed. I mean, as we know, especially in the Ashes, it's moments like what happened on Sunday that just change everything. You know, you think back to both of them in 81. It was a similar sort of situation where England were really on the back foot and were second best. And then, obviously, that Headingley test changed things and England were unassailable after that. We mustn't forget Jack Leach. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's been, you know, again... Fantastic. It's been great, isn't it? Essex now 43 for three. Uh, Dan Lawrence has just got out for 18, so... Uh, jinxed him. Be a good one on that one. Um, Old, Old Trafford next. Now, this is interesting. So I dug out a stat, which is going to give us all hope. So Old Trafford is England's favourite home ground for retaining the Ashes. Yeah, hold on. There's a couple of things there, Dan. Uh, Darren? Darren? Dan? Darren, Darren. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Number one, we're not retaining them, we've got to win them. Mm. Number two, even if we win there, it's not all over yet. So uh, <laughs> let, let's not put any mockers on it. And, uh, you know, it, it should be good, but they, they, they certainly like doing well at Old Trafford, England, don't they? <laughs> now, you gave us an Essex update, so um, I suppose we should really just have a quick uh, 30 seconds on Essex at the moment. I think they'd be a bit of a disappointed with the tie last week. They had a good win, should have beaten Hampshire tie. I mean... Again? The weather, it's been weather-affected. It, it's... I think they've obviously they've got a more consistent side now. We'll see how they go tonight and tomorrow v Kent, but... It's all about the championship. That championship, really, isn't, it? isn't it? If Essex needs to go on and win the championship now, it's as simple as that. Guys, we are out of time for today. Um, it's been, you know, a great show listening to Dan. Uh, thanks, everyone. And, and thanks Chris Cowdery. Well. Thanks Cowdery. for listening. And uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you all next week here on 98 Night Out. Just remember, play straight, play great. 98 Not Out, sponsored by Shepherd Neen, proud supporters of cricket in Essex. Thought I'd end up with shine, but it wasn't a match. Wrote some songs about Ricky, now I listen and laugh, even almost got married. And for Pete, I'm so thankful, wish I could say thank you to